Promo Kitchen is an all-volunteer, nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, please visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. One of the ways you can get involved is by donating to our cause. We rely on our community for financial support to help cover the cost of producing our educational content and our networking mixers. You can donate today right from your phone at promokitchen.org donate. Thank you so much, and let's get started with the show. Here at Promo Kitchen, we are proud to be partners with and members of PPAI, one of today's sponsors of this broadcast. Today's Promo Kitchen podcast is brought to you by Promotional Products Workweek, which is May 13th to 17th of this year, 2019. Promotional Products Workweek is an industry-wide celebration dedicated to increasing awareness, building your business, and uniting our entire industry with one mission, one purpose, and one voice. So May 13th to the 17th, get together with your team, your peers, and your community to meet and greet, serve your community, advocate for the industry, and celebrate your customers and clients during Promotional Products Work Week. For more information, check out ppai.org forward slash events. Thank you so much. This podcast has also been brought to you by our good friends at Sanmar. Sanmar believes in the power of promotional products. Since 1971, this family-owned apparel supplier has been dedicated to passionately serving customers through trusted brands like Port Authority, Nike Golf, OGO, District, District Made, and SportTech. You can check them out online at sanmar.com. You can also tune in to Sanmar's new twice-monthly podcast, Sanmar Radio, for expert insights and inspiration to grow your business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. We are a community-inspired conversation featuring boundary pushers, rabble-rousers, freaks, and geeks who are shaking up the $23.3 billion promotional products industry. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Common Skew, and in the co-host chair today is fellow Promo Kitchen chef, marketing director for Equipment Zone, and my good friend, Jay Bassell. On today's interview, we get deep into another dimension of the promotional products industry, apparel decoration. More specifically, we wanted to explore why a distributor might bring decoration in-house and what pitfalls to avoid when going down this path. We also discuss the concept of a maker versus a marketer, which broadly describes the difference between the sales and marketing culture of the promotional products industry versus the manufacturing and production mindset of the apparel decorating industry. How those cultures and mindsets come together is the focus of this particular podcast today. Joining us to discuss the apparel decorating industry is Mark Stevenson, Director of Marketing at Cole Desi and co-host of the Custom Apparel Startups podcast. Mark has been shaping the marketing messages of Cole Desi and its brands for more than seven years. Mark is a prolific content producer, having published numerous videos on the Cole Desi YouTube channel. In addition to this, he's hosted multiple live webinars, authors a thriving blog, has taught multiple online courses on Udemy, spearheads the Custom Apparel Startups Facebook group, and is also the co-host 
of the popular Custom Apparel Startups podcast. You can check out all of this and more at customapparelstartups.com. Needless to say, we have a true expert today in Mark Stevenson. And with that, let's get started with the show. Mark, it's a great pleasure to have you with us here today. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a real, real honor. And you know, your reputation precedes you. But for those people listening to the PK podcast that do not know you, Mark Stevenson, do you want to give a little bit of background as to who you are and what you do at Cole Desi? I'd love to, especially since, you know, if you've already heard of me, there's probably some damage control in, involved. So I'd like to spin this in a positive direction if I have enough time. Yes. So I'm the director of marketing for Cold Essie. You know, we sell apparel decorating equipment around the country. And what we talk about, you know, on a corporate basis is our goal really is to help people achieve their dreams, you know, of becoming entrepreneurs, of starting their own business, you know, of putting a little bit of creativity in their life. So that's kind of the theme that informs everything we do. And me personally, I'm also the co-host of the Custom Apparel Startups podcast, which I started with Mark Vila about three years ago. And that came to us for the same reasons that Coldesi is around. And what we found was, is there's plenty of places to find information about equipment and kind of the nuts and bolts about how to do things, but not a lot of resources to teach people how to be in business. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you go. You preserved your reputation. Now, you didn't need all that much time, but I'd say you put a pretty good spin on that. So thank you, sir. I skipped the dancing part. So that was my goal. <laughs> this should be a video podcast. Yeah, Mark, listen, it's such a great opportunity to connect. And one of the questions that we've been working on, thinking about this podcast and introducing these topics to Promo Kitchen, if we could for a second, let's imagine that the promo industry and the apparel decorating industry are similar, like cousins getting together at an annual family reunion, right? That'd be a scary place. Yeah, could be, right? Could be, could get out of control. So how do you think we're the same or similar? And maybe how do you think we're different? When you think of promo and you think of apparel, you know, a lot of people kind of separate those two, but let's talk about how are they the same or what do you feel? What are your perspectives? What do you see? What do you think? Okay, so um, I, I think that's a great analogy because I look at it almost exactly the same way. And if you asked me five years ago, I probably would have said they're completely different industries that don't have anything to do with each other. But now what we're seeing is a lot more convergence. And just like, you know, if you meet two family members, you know, you, if you don't know the family, you meet two different people, you don't realize they're cousins until they all get together in the same room. And then you can see how much they look alike. <laughs> right. So it's kind of the same thing. You really think of promotional products and of custom t-shirts, for example, or embroidery as in two different worlds until you get them in the same room. Right. And you see that, you know, fundamentally, they look alike. They like the same things. They watch the same TV shows. Yep. Good point. Well, how do you see them? Are there any differences that clearly stand out? Yeah. So I've always thought about people in the traditional kind of promotional products business. And when I say that, I'm thinking of the people that start and end their lives with a catalog or a website and nothing else, right? So they're sales and marketing people. Yeah, right. And the custom apparel people, custom t-shirt people up until now have been more like on the manufacturing side almost. Mm, good point. So I think that's where they're different is their approaches to the marketplace where we're all in the same room, but you've got the one guy that is, you know, he's a salesman for a living and the other guy who makes stuff for a living. Great comparison. You know, and while they both sell and they both make in some respects, 
it's a different focus. Yeah, good point. So if we're at that same family reunion, would that mean that Mark Graham is that weird kind of quirky, funny uncle that we both share? Well, I hadn't thought of that, but now that you mention it, if you're listening in the US, you realize that if you have any Canadian family, it's usually the weird uncle. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Or, or the one that people talk about in hushed whispers as he walks by. Yes, that's true. I think that might be a little bit more, uh, you know, more, <laughs> more appropriate. <laughs> so Mark, were you at the PPAI Expo this past January in Las Vegas? No, I am very much the house mouse. And as a company, we do very few trade shows. It's not part of our business much anymore. Yep. So no, you know, I'll go to maybe one trade show every year. Okay. Now, is that one trade show that you go to, was it ISS also in January in Long Beach? It was SGIA. Okay. Oh, right, right. And that's in Vegas in the fall, right? Yeah, it's typically in Vegas. And normally our company spreads into the promotional products industry in another way. And we've now got a UV printer line. Right. So a lot of people get that equipment just to bring promotional products production in-house. So SGIA gives us the opportunity to go see the t-shirt people and the promo products and the signs. Right. And when you're at SGIA, are you selling, like in this UV product example, are you selling to what we would describe as a traditional supplier in the promotional products industry? Like I'm trying to think just using a random example, like a Poly Concept North America or a Leeds or a Sweda or a Logomark. Would they be purchasing your product to do decoration on their products domestically? Or are you more speaking about a market of decorators like embroiderers and screen printers or even promotional products people that are looking to bring decoration in-house? So right now, most of our manufacturing customers are in the apparel industry. Yep. We don't have any really large volume manufacturers and promotional products that you'd recognize. Okay. But what we do have is people that have started up, you know, funny enough, you know, there are a lot of people out there that maybe do signs or, you know, they've got an Etsy store that does surprisingly great revenues in something like wood signs. And they're tired of doing it in one method. So they start looking at UV printers to do it that way. Right. So again, our wheelhouse as a company is in the, the small business, the startup and, you know, maybe the one to $3 million business. Right. We've got a lot of big players on the resume, but not that many on a regular basis. So Jay, I want to ask you a question, given that you have been an attendee at the PPAI Expo for many years. Correct. And you've also attended apparel decorating shows like ISS and SGIA and similar shows as well yep. over the same amount of time. So from your perspective, when you're walking the aisles at both of these major shows that represent these two different industries, what do you see as the similarities and differences between the two? Well, the first thing that catches your eye, I think, is the similarity. And you'll see a lot of crossover from some of the same major suppliers. You know, Mark Stevenson talked a little bit about the convergence of these markets. And I think that's apparent from the perspective of seeing who the exhibitors are. So knowing that some of the major apparel lines are going to both be exhibiting at a traditional promotional products show as well as an apparel show or an apparel decoration show. So what I'm saying is, you know, they're set up and tuned in for both buyers. They understand the markets and they are ready to take care of a screen printer and they're also ready to take care of a traditional promotional products company, agency, distributor, however you want to phrase that. 
One of the main differences, though, is that you will rarely see large amounts of manufacturing or apparel decoration equipment. Now, I know PPAI and some of the other shows, they have sections or small little dedicated areas where they're inviting some of that decoration, which for them was probably a break in the status quo. I mean, I'm sure that there were a lot of traditional old school distributors that freaked out the first time they saw companies like Colt Desi or others who used to exhibit at that promotional product show. But the reality, I think, is that it's a positive, both from the standpoint of education to see how the decorating techniques actually work. And then having worked on both sides of the aisle, I'm looking, if I'm at that show exhibiting, I'm looking for a promotional products distributor who is thinking outside of the box, who is looking to break the status quo and be a rebel, break the rules and start to figure out if adding in-house apparel decoration tools or techniques makes sense. Those are the people I want to find. They're rare, might only be 1% of the attendees at a PPAI show, Mm -hmm. but 1% of 14 to 15,000 people is a nice connection. And I want to talk to that person if I'm selling screen printing equipment or direct-to-garment printing equipment or embroidery machines, et cetera. Yeah. I love what you said, Jay. I'll just add one more thing. And that is that, you know, my observation is that a custom t-shirt is a promotional product. Yep. Yes. And that the methods, most of the methods that you use to produce your own custom apparel can also be used to produce a pretty wide variety of promotional products. So it's not like you can't produce a transfer that goes on a t-shirt that might also go on a mug. Yep. Or that you can't run a canvas through a direct-to-garment printer, or you know that you can't embroider on a pillow or a koozie with an embroidery machine instead of a polo shirt. Right. Yeah, it's having, that's flexible. It's a great point. So uh, there are some differences too in the, I think the end user, you know, Mark Graham, back to your original point, the differences, I think there is a difference in the person or the entity or the business that each group is focused on. Yeah. So in other words, the traditional promotional product advertising company is looking for, you know, Dell computer or, you know, your larger businesses, your larger companies. and I'm not saying that those that are in apparel decoration are not, but from the startup position, they typically start out and please, Mark Stevenson, correct me and add some value here. But a lot of them are small little mompreneurs, startups, start with an Etsy store, start with a Facebook page, hope to sell 10 shirts this week, and then their business grows. You said at the beginning, I think that this is a great thing to emphasize is that As a general comment, from a macro perspective, what you have in the promotional products industry is it's a market of salespeople, whereas in the apparel decoration space, it's largely a market of makers, of people who are actually making the product. Yeah. It's interesting. I reflect on my background. So I love selling apparel. I started off in the promotional products industry as a distributor, selling and still have that distributor right sleeve and started off selling nothing but clothing. So this is kind of a funny story. So I got into the space. I was right out of school and I had 
connections with the college and university and summer camp markets. And I had a, a passion for those markets. I knew that there was an opportunity to get some neat clothing into these buyers' hands and that I had an opinion about this market. Yeah. And what's interesting is that I never, and it's interesting, Mark Stevenson, had I run into you 20 years ago or so when I started this business, maybe the trajectory would have been different. I never, ever in a million years would have ever considered making any of that stuff myself, largely because I think I'm a better salesperson than I am someone working a press and I <laughs> embarrassed myself with it. Anyway, so for me, the default was how do I set up these accounts with companies like Sanmar and Alpha and then set up contract decorating relationships so that I could focus on subbing that out so that I could go and focus on the design and the strategy and the sales of each of these camp and school programs that I was selling at the time. And it's interesting that it never occurred to me that I could go and do this myself. I'm not saying that I was right or wrong in that, but I started in this business very much as a business slash salesperson and kind of never looked back. The idea of printing 300 shirts in my house, I would have just never even thought of that largely because I would have been intimidated by it, to be quite honest. So I'm making that more as a comment. It's maybe less of a question, but it's just more of a, an interesting way that I started in the business. And I can tell you that I was intimidated by promotional products at the very beginning because I knew nothing but apparel, <laughs> but never printing the apparel. It was always subbing it out. That's funny. Right. So that doesn't surprise me at all. And you found the right place for you, right? So yep. you found exactly where you should be. And I probably would not have tried to convince you otherwise at that point. Yep. So, you know, what you had was relationships and an ability to sell. And one of those is rare. And I think, you know, Jay, because I know you've been in the business for a long time. I mean, how many good salespeople have you met? <laughs> how many good salespeople have you met that will yeah. like call somebody back more than twice? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it, there's a giant gap between good and great. Let me put it to you that way. So There you go. And Mark is definitely in the latter. He is one of the great ones. And I'm not just saying that. I know firsthand. Mark, I loved that point that you made. And I think if I could just expand on this, maybe I could give some insight. And then Mark Stevenson, you could you know bring back your perspective as well. But I have seen this firsthand where I've met people just like Mark Graham and said to Mark, Mark, if you could maintain the profit margin that you have now doing what you do, but then after adding some concept of apparel decoration, you could not only increase your control, yeah. but you could increase your profit margins. And so what happens is every great salesman who is also a business owner eventually has been tempted yep. to look at some concept there, whether that's starting off with a vinyl cutter, starting off with a manual screen printing press, starting off with digital printing, they will be tempted because someone either lets them down or they see how much they're writing these big fat checks to these contract decorators. Mm -hmm. And they're like, wow. So yep. all of us get tempted at one point or another to then say, is this worth bringing in-house? Should I be looking at how to bring this in? And by in-house, not literally in my front bedroom, but yeah. That's a real, I believe, a real issue and opportunity. And some do it and they thrive. Yep. Yeah. Others do it and they crash and burn. So, Jay, we actually have that conversation with people all the time that are outsourcing stuff. 
they may even be already in the custom apparel business and they do printed t-shirts in their outsourcing embroidery work. Yep. Right. In the promotional products business, it's the same. And it, in some ways, it should be an easier decision for promo products people because they know how much they sell. Yeah. Yes. And they know how much the profit is. Yeah, that's correct. So then it's just kind of your motivation and math. Yep. Yeah. Motivation and math. I like that. Let me add this point. You both know that I do a lot of training and have for over the, you know, the last 20 years. And as I'm invited to be a speaker or presenter at any of these major associations, I often ask at the beginning of my session, please raise your hand if you own and operate, you and or your business, if you own and operate any kind of apparel decorating or promotional product decorating, raise your hand if you are also an owner of a manufacturing machine. And 15 to 20 years ago, it was way less than, it was probably not even 1%. Out of 100, you might see, you know, two or three hands. 10 years, it went to about 10 hands. Right. If I ask that same question today at a PPAI show or an ASI show, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's about a 50-50 split. Right. Wow, no kidding. But yeah, I'm not kidding. And does that surprise any of you? Now, part of that, keep in mind, and I know this, part of that are the concepts and the sessions that I teach lend themselves to both. So I'm probably attracting more apparel decorators at a promotional product show or more promotional product people at an apparel decoration show, right? But just to see the shift and the increase, yeah. does that A, surprise you, Mark Graham? And B, what do you say to that, Mark Stevenson? Well, I think that that's terrific. And I think that maybe a couple of things have influenced that over that 10 years, because that's a good span of time to do a comparison in is the first one is is that the equipment that it takes to produce custom apparel yourself or even promotional products yourself has gotten better and less expensive kind of exponentially over the past 10 years. Yep. Right. So, you know, for example, you know, you couldn't get a flatbed UV printer for $30,000 10 years ago. You could get a direct-to-garment printer for $20,000 10 years ago, yeah. but you'd spend 50% of your time working on it. Yeah, you'd, you'd curse it every day. <laughs> and screen printing hasn't changed. You know, right now, somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want to get into the custom apparel business. I'm in promotional products right now. You know, you can do something great for under $10,000, yeah. which is crazy and without a lot of technical skill, where that, that hasn't always been the case. Good point. And you're right. You know, those people have probably added that equipment for the same reasons that you've already mentioned is that, you know, they want more control of the quality in particular, mm -hmm. because I'm on some of the promotional products, Facebook groups, that's something people bring up is variable quality and they want that extra profit and they want to be able to offer shorter timeframes and they want to just be able to offer two of anything. Yeah, Those are the motivations. So if you've got that motivation and math going for you, then I can't see a way that over the next 10 years, Jay, for you, you're not going to see those numbers just keep getting bigger. Well, I think that that's an interesting point. Yeah. What do you think, Mark Graham? What do you say to that? I'm not surprised. I think that was what your question was of me. And when I speak with people, and I also see this on our common SKU business as well, an increasing number of promotional products distributors that have in-house decoration, whether it's something very simple with a small manual screen print machine, or whether it's a bunch of heads of embroidery as well. And I think that's really just in response to enhancing profit margins. And maybe in other cases, they're going direct up against a traditional screen printing operation. 
that may be prepared to work on lower margins because their cost basis is less. So I'm not surprised by it. And I think that that was a motivation to have you, Mark Stevenson, on the podcast is to try to demystify this and expose Mm -hmm. this because I actually think this is an extraordinary opportunity. Anything that drives more value and more profit margin to the promotional products industry, I can tell you the promo kitchen community is certainly interested in that. I actually have a question for you two. Please. And that is, I know. Is that legal? Can they do that? (laughs) Non-host questions? I don't know if that's permitted. I think I've lost total control. Go ahead. What has been, from your observation, the impact of variable foreign trade relationships to your industry? Ooh. Now, when you say variable, are you meaning inconsistent or poor? Yeah. Okay. So for example, I'm assuming that, you know, like we import products from overseas and it's not necessarily that supply chains are ever interrupted, but that variability causes nervousness and, you know, maybe price increases because of tariff implementation, things like that. I don't know if that's part of the daily conversation for you guys. Sure. Well, I'll give you my perspective. It absolutely is a conversation. I mean, there's no question with tariffs that are up and down like a yo-yo. There's a lot of uncertainty with what's happening right now between China and the US that impacts that discussion. And then not to mention, you've got the time, the lead times, and you've got foreign trade partners that you may not have as close a relationship with because of distance. There's a lot of variables. There's no question there's a lot of things that are required with a foreign supply chain that I'm not sure will ever entirely change. But I think if I understand the nature of your question is that if you can bring things into a more domestic environment, and I can tell you this with my distributor background, that you maintain a lot more control over lead times and in some cases over quality. Yeah. And that is something that we've always looked at in the distributor business. I mean, outside of sometimes using made in Canada or made in the USA as a marketing construct, in some cases, it's actually nice to be able to push the business domestically, not just for patriotic reasons, but simply for reliability. So I don't know if that's where you're kind of going with that question, Mark, but I think that there's a very encouraging trend, domestic production on all Mm -hmm. sorts of levels. And selfishly, it means that you can get your product oftentimes to your customer on a more reliable basis. I concur. Yeah. And that's something that I assumed, but I didn't know for sure. I've talked to a few people in the promotional products business that have called up, you know, thinking that they want a more reliable supply chain. I just didn't know if that was specific or if that was kind of a, an industry trend, if things were moving towards where people may be looking closer to home, and that might be an inspiration for them to bring equipment in-house. I agree with everything that you said. I think it's just a concern. I think you know, anytime that you have an opportunity that the supply chain that you're relying upon is no longer reliable, then it creates friction and it creates uncertainty and it creates doubt. And people are looking for less of that. And so if that means they can truly shop local and buy local and build on that trend for control purposes, then I think that, you know, there are a lot of people that will do that. Yeah. So it does create an opportunity, I think, to bring apparel decoration in-house or promotional product printing in-house for some. But like Mark said, we're never going to get away. I don't believe we'll be 100% in either camp. We're going to always depend on both. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. 
So Mark, if I was a promotional products distributor looking to jump into in-house decoration, where is the easiest place to start? That is a good question because you said easiest. (laughs) (laughs) We want it easy in the promotional products industry. Come on. Okay. So what I would do is I would start with a white toner LED printer. Okay. Why? So we've got a relationship with Oki and with Uninet. So we sell three different models of white toner LED printers, and they have a few advantages. The first is they're a printer. So they work like a color laser printer. There's no maintenance. So you literally, you don't have to worry about printing often. You can use it once, put it in the corner, come back in two years, fire it right up again, and you're good. Right. So it's very simple to use, not a lot of moving parts, nothing messy. It's very comfortable in a back bedroom or in an office. In addition, because it's got white toner, and Jay knows this very well, a lot of promotional products are produced with sublimation. Yes. And they require either a specially treated object to apply to, or you have to use man-made materials like a 100% polyester shirt. Yeah. Okay. And they do that for a couple of technical reasons, but one of the main ones is there's no white ink, right? So there's no white underbase that you can apply. So if you put it on a dark shirt it looks terrible. Hmm. So the white toner printers, they produce a transfer that just like a DTG printer lays down a layer of white ink before it prints color, this product actually puts a layer of white toner underneath the color on the transfer. Right. So what I end up with is I end up with a piece of transfer paper that looks like a transparency from high school. Right. Or at least I'm a little older from my high school days. It looks like a transparency. Yep. It looks like that, but I can take that and I can not only apply it to a white or a lighter dark polyester shirt, but I can do the same for a cotton shirt. Right. And I can do the same with a piece of wood or a tile or a picture frame or a notebook cover. Right. So this is a relatively inexpensive product that's easy to use and it's good on the widest variety of substrates. Right. And so if you're a promotional products distributor and you've got an order for 144 shirts, so just let's look at the math here. Yeah. You're doing a screen printed job on, let's just say, white cotton shirts. Mm -hmm. It's a two color print on the front. You've got two setups that you have to pay for the screens. And let's say you've got a run charge of, let's call it a dollar, a dollar a unit, 144 shirts, two screens. Let's say they're 30 bucks each. And you send that off to your very reliable contract decorator who is going to produce that in, let's say, a day or two. Yep. If you're up against a, you know, a time crunch. How does the math work when doing that yourself with the machine that you just mentioned? It doesn't. You wouldn't do that. Okay. So what you would do is you would outsource that job because it's 144 prints, two colors. Nobody's going to do that better than a screen printer. Right. Okay. It's going to be your most economical solution. Yep. What you would do is if they came to you and wanted 10. Yep. Or if after you were done with that order of 144, they called you up and they wanted three more. Right. Which you know, Jay, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. Or if they called up and said, Mark, I need 144 with two colors, but on the back, I need everybody's name and it's all different. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'll, I'll say one more thing about that, Mark, is that the conversation will be different because what you described was an order the way a screen printer would want you to place the yep. order. And you're doing that because you have so long in the business. Yep. 
Because a customer is not going to come to you and say, I need a two-color job. Correct. They're going to come to you with a complicated full-color logo, and you're going to talk them down to two colors. (laughs) True that. Right? So screen printers spend their whole lives so much so that they don't even understand how to have a different conversation. Right. Trying to get people to do less. Where what you can say is, you know what? Send me a picture. I don't care how many colors it is. You know what my setup charge is? Bring me a cup of coffee when you place the order. <laughs> right? Because you're, you've got no supply cost. I'm not cleaning screens. I don't have to store anything. Right. If they come back and want three more, I can even store the file already ripped. Right. So I just need to pull up and print it. But that's why, you know, you'd never get away from, I would never tell anybody unless, you know, they have a particular reason to want to do that kind of a job themselves. Right. I'd tell everybody to outsource that to a screen printer. So what I'm gathering from this, and this may be stating the complete obvious, is that the magic of bringing apparel in-house is when you're focused on smaller jobs that cost more per unit, where you can walk away with a great profit margin on a smaller quantity that most distributors are going to walk away from because they're chasing the 144 shirts and up. It's like almost like this segment of the market that I'll tell you in the company that the distributor that, that I started, if anyone comes to us looking for 10 shirts, they better be at Google so that we can go and create a really big longstanding relationship with them yeah. where the dollar volume is high because we've got a cost structure and an agency environment that requires that for the kind of services that we offer. We'll actually, in many cases, we'll look at the 10 shirts. And even though you may be able to charge 15, 20 bucks per shirt, we're not going to be making money on that. Whereas someone else who's focused on that using your equipment could probably make a killing. That's exactly right. The dichotomy in the market and how some distributors might look at this. Yeah. Even though it's a thriving and huge space, this quote unquote small run business. Hey, Mark Graham. So here's how I look at that. You did state the obvious, but you were 100% correct. So think of it this way. How many times, and I don't know if this makes any sense, but this is the analogy I often use. Like A lot of times you'll meet an entrepreneur who starts their own restaurant. They have their own restaurant because they have this amazing recipe. Yep. And they make you know, this plate of spaghetti better than anybody in the world, so they think. Yep. So they're really good at making this small batch of spaghetti and they have reservations, you know, it's really hard to get into this place because it's so famous for this plate of spaghetti. Yeah. And then along comes somebody and knocks on the door and says, hey, I've got this event and I need you to cater that spaghetti that I love so much, but I need 400 plates and I need them all at the same time. Yep. So the reason I bring that up is to me, it's two totally different problems. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to look at that. And some restaurants can pull that off. But do you know how many restaurants could say, no, I can't do that. I'm not set up for it. I don't have the equipment for it. I don't have the scale for it. But the irony of what I'm saying is the flip side of that equation is what I think most promotional products distributors who are traditionally set in their ways, they think in terms of catering. They think in terms of, I have a hundred people. I have a thousand. I need this many items and I need them all at the same time. And they all have to look exactly the same. It's a different ask. And so I think it's really, really interesting right now in the times that we're in is that there's been a significant shift towards these three things. Number one, individualization. Number two, the customization for quantities as low as one. 
And then number three, thanks to Amazon, I want it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. And that changes. That's disruptive to the traditional promotional products company. They don't know how to handle that. Yeah. Yeah. You also have some great opportunities for kind of upsell. I mean, first of all, I'll just say that our customers that do this kind of, I think Zazzle used to call it mass customization. Yeah. Right. So the customers that are in this business, you know, they're selling shirts for 25 or 30 bucks. Yeah. Huge much. They're making $20, $25 a shirt. Yeah. No question. And you can enhance this. So that customer that comes to you, if you're in the promo products business and they want an 144 shirts and they want it in two colors and they have a printout of somebody else's quote, you can say, I can do that. And for, you know, for a couple of bucks a shirt, I'll put your label on the inside. Yep. With no setup fees, you know, or they can, when they deliver that order, you can do a transfer on a hat with a full color custom logo and just include it for the guy that you're delivering it to. So next time, if you want these hats, I'll do them for 25 bucks a piece. Yeah. There's opportunities to look at the whole picture and use them to profit from one another. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, Jay, you make a great point as do you, Mark, in terms of this thriving market segment. And I think that that's what we're trying to get across in this conversation is that there is profit and opportunity at all sides of the market. But what's interesting is that I think that there's a view that the small order, if you speak to the traditional promotional products distributor, is that there's a view that the small order is something that the little guy does. It's the trunk slammers order. It's the it's where the uniform shop will print off the soccer team shirts. Yeah. And I don't know whether they're necessarily trying to be a jerk when they say that, but I think that there's this view that, you know, the real business is in the company store program or it's in the Fortune 500 RFP account. And you can walk around and say, hey, I have the Facebook account or I've got the IBM account or whatever the case may be. And yet there's not many people that are walking around, at least at the PPAI show, that are saying, hey, I've got the local little league, you know, eight shirts for my son's baseball team. Yeah. I think that's a great example because only one guy can say that he's got the Facebook account. Exactly. A hundred people can say that I make $30 every time I sell a single jersey to the football team at the high school. Yeah. Well, and the guy who's got the Facebook account, this is a general comment that the profit margin has likely been beaten up by some savvy purchasing agent. (laughs) There still is lots of money in that space, but it is a decidedly different business with a different cost structure. And what I love about this is that we've got an industry in the promotional product space that is massive and there's lots of different pockets that can be optimized for great money making. And I think that's what you're talking about, Jay and Mark, is not disregarding these smaller market segments because you can build a great business. Yeah. And many do. And I think what they've done is they end up playing to the strengths of both their style and then they play to the strengths of whatever decorating equipment they have. So I think we will see, Mark, and that's what's fascinating, and I hope what comes across on our podcast is that we're going to continue to see this convergence or this merging of the traditional smaller apparel decorator who's now also entering into some concept of a promotional product distributorship and vice versa. And I think the reason that this happens too, Mark, is because traditionally in the promotional product space, correct me on my figures, but isn't it true that 80% of those distributors 
are under the 1 million in sales annual mark or something close to that. So they're technically already kind of a smaller business. And by being a smaller business, they can make more nimble decisions. And they're probably a little bit more entrenched in saying, you know, how hard is this? How hard is it to decorate, you know, 12 shirts or 20 mugs or, you know, a thousand mouse pads? Well, I can tell you that it isn't always easy. I can also tell you that you'll have some victories. But, you know, if you don't mind, I want to transition to one more question because I've over the years found that the great equalizer for both, whether that be a promotional products company or whether that be an apparel decoration company, the amazing equalizer is this nasty little thing that we haven't talked about one time yet, which is called the artwork or graphics. <laughs> yeah. Because the truth is, if you suck at graphics, it will impact both businesses, in my humble opinion. So, Mark Stevenson, how critical of a role do you see or do you think that graphics play when considering the addition of apparel decoration? So, you have hit it. But here's my thing if you're already used to dealing with artwork in the promotional products business, you're pretty much done. So, you know that you have to have a good quality file, you know that it has to be in specific formats and has to be delivered in a certain way. None of that changes with apparel. It doesn't get any worse until you get to embroidery and then it does get a little bit worse. Right. Because you have to file specially digitized. But what my customers do, you know, when they come in is typically a couple of things. They're either designers that are kind of getting in the business. They mess around with it a little bit and we just have to teach them the formats. They get a free software package like GIMP or Inkscape along with their printers and they take training and get to use that. But almost 100% of the time, if somebody's not already into graphics, by the time they get equipment, we tell them just to farm it out. You can go from concept to great graphics for $20 or $30 a graphic. Interesting. Okay. So let me make sure I've understood you correctly. So you're giving them an opportunity to say there are free programs that could help you if you want to and if you have the aptitude for graphics, you can continue to explore that space, whether that be CorelDRAW, whether that be the Adobe suite of tools, Photoshop, Illustrator, et cetera, or GIMP or others that are free online, right? So there's that. Yep. I'm going to actually take some control and do the graphics myself. Or you're saying outsource it. If you're a traditional promotional products person, you probably already are. So continue to do that and you can still have success Either way, it's really more of a preference. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. And, you know, because it's a little tilted because the people that come to me are usually, like I said, they want to be makers. They don't want to be marketers. Hmm, interesting. So they love the idea of creating their own stuff. That might be the title of this podcast. Are <laughs> you a maker or are you a marketer? I love it. That's great. So true. So that's really, I think, the difference. Now, the advantage that customers have for our kind of custom apparel equipment, i.e. not screen printing, is that I can take a PDF file and pretty much plug it into anything that I do and get a great graphic and put it on a t-shirt. Yeah. I don't have to worry about color seps. Right. Yeah. Like what kind of special processing do I have to do? Has to be good resolution and give me a PDF or a PSD or something like that. That's it. Right. Well, it is easier. I can tell you that. Right. Yeah. The truth is it's been simplified. You know, we live in this world of, you know, Canva didn't exist 
10 years ago. And, you know, there's free plugins and free apps and free tools. And, you know, more and more people are being drawn to the artistic and creative side of this industry. And maybe that's what's bringing some of this convergence and some of these merging of both markets is the fun they have. For some people, they're emotionally connected to making it yeah, and satisfaction and seeing it go from an idea to a graphic on my screen to a final finished whatever, towel, tote bag, t-shirt, et cetera. Man, I got to tell you, I can't describe how good it feels when our customers inside the Facebook group or, or some other place post pictures of their first design or their first t-shirt and just the pride you know, that I made this myself and I handed it to somebody and they gave me money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's real. That's so powerful to a lot of people. Isn't that? And I got I to say, I love to see that. I love to see it. I right? totally know what you're saying, Mark. And isn't that kind of the genesis of, of where so many of these entrepreneurs come from? I mean, isn't that pride and that satisfaction of both? So maybe even though we wanted to say that this podcast for some is about marketing and for others, it's about being a maker. I think there's a crossroads. I think there's an intersection of both of those. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the best distributors in the promotional space are the ones that understand, I think, scale and efficiency so they can play at that end of the spectrum. But they're able to accommodate those smaller, edgier, more creative orders at the same time. I think you're also seeing a lot of this stuff being driven by what's happening on the web, you know, the ability for a customer to go and order a couple of shirts on a, an e-commerce platform, like let's say a Shopify that goes into the back end of someone's system, and then they're able to print off a couple of shirts and ship them out. I mean, that's really exciting. And I think that there's a lot of people in the distributor business that don't really get that. They probably don't think it's their business to be in, but it sounds like there's an extraordinary opportunity if people do it right. I've got one more question for you, Mark, that follows on this. And Jay, I'll give you the opportunity to ask the last question because we're sensitive to your time. So we've been talking about all the excitement around bringing apparel decoration in-house. We've made an argument for the great profit margins and the ability to service a different type of customer that you may not have had before. So we've talked about all those great things and it's exciting that some distributors might go down this path. Like what is the most common misstep like, where's the area where someone who's so excited about listening to this podcast, they go in and they purchase a bunch of equipment. Where do they screw up and how can <laughs> they avoid that? Because okay. it's got to happen. Yeah, it does. And, and that's great. And, you know, like any business, you know, a good percentage of the people don't make it right for a variety of reasons. Yeah. But the first thing that people, and it blows me away is that you know, if you buy a stick of gum from Coldessi, we will train you on how to chew it. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like, like we, like we aggressively train people. Mark, we, I, I think I'm going to have to skip that webinar. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's too bad. I have, I have locked up because of, no. Um, so, so really we like, we have an instructional designer on staff now, you know, so we went through a lot of trouble to do self-paced online training. We do live trainings. We do one-on-one -on -one training. And still the majority of people never complete the training. So they fail because they don't know what to do just because they don't bother to, to get trained. So it's not enough to just have the money to buy this new toy. You actually have to have the training and the plan. Did I hear you say that? Is that what you're saying? 
Wait, yes. I mean, I feel like you said something profane right there. That that's what most people would think. But yeah, you're like you've got to you've got to learn how to use it. You know, we have people that um, in embroidery, it's really it's really more common for some reason than not. Is that someone will call us up to buy an embroidery machine because they have a 200 piece order, right? So that means they have to get the machine in, they have to learn how to do it, and their first order, their first time to play with it is to produce this this big order. Yeah, right. So it suddenly got serious, and now they're like, oh, shit, how am I going to do this? I better call. Absolutely. So there you go. That happens. Can I condense all of the hours and hours and hours of training that I haven't done yet? Can I squeeze that into a day so that I can get these done by next Tuesday? Yes. Can you stay on the phone with me while I do each one of these shirts? Right. Hmm. So the other thing that they do is, of course, because we're in sales organizations. So we do our videos, we're professionals, and we make everything look easy, right? So we're not showing the, the four times you failed while you tried to figure out this design. Right. Or the three things that you, you know, like I forgot to turn on the heat press. The heat press was too cool when I cured the shirt. Or I picked the wrong kind of shirt. I've never used it before. It's really cheap. The heat press burned a box around it. Yeah. You know, so these are the things that people don't think about. These are the failure points. Yep. They don't get trained and they don't spend their time understanding how to perfect the process. Yep. And that's not surprising whatsoever. I mean, I think if someone gets into it thinking it's going to be quick, easy money, they're not prepared to make the investment in training and committing to it, then I think you'd say the same thing would apply to, I don't know, piano lessons that you give to your kids and they get frustrated they're not learning when they're not <laughs> practicing or taking the time to use it. Yeah. Not that that applies in my case. That but, sounds like um, a very, very <laughs> personal uh, connection there, Mark. Mark I, feel, uh, I feel like there's, there's some piano issues in your past. Or, or yeah. current. <laughs> maybe, maybe, <you> know, more, <laughs> more uh, sadly, more my own past, uh, not, not okay. current, okay. But, you know, maybe okay. this is something that I just need to take up in another podcast, but, but I appreciate that. And I think, I mean, that's some tough love. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're going to be successful, whether you're buying a gear from cold Nessie or equipment zone or any of the other great vendors that do this, yeah, you can't take a shortcut. You need to get trained. You need to rely on your partner. You need to get it done. There's no shortcut to learning, you know, how to be successful in this. So anyways, thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Yeah. Great answer. Thanks for the insights. Remarkable. Get it? Remarkable. Jay, you have the last question, my friend. No pressure. Don't screw oh, it. Oh, wow. Okay. So here's my question because people ask me this question and I don't know that I have a good answer yet. So I will say that now, hoping that Mark Stevenson has a very good answer. So no pressure, Mark, but uh, here comes my question. Yeah, sure. So no, there have been a growing number of people in the last, I'm going to say the last 12 months that have been asking me about who are these people that claim to be getting rich selling t-shirts online. They claim to have no overhead, no inventory, and no investment except a creative idea. And then they outsource the entire thing through somebody like Teespring or like Redbubble or like Amazon Merch or Merch by Amazon. Are you getting that question? And if you are, is that the exception to the rule? Or do you see that as a potential trend? And I could follow up by, if you think it is a trend, how is it going to impact our industry? So that's kind of a big three-parter question. Yeah. But what do you think about Teespring, Redbubble, 
YouTube's now going to have a deal or already put together a deal. Amazon's making claims of investing in millions of dollars if they haven't already to be it. Yeah, they, they do. I know that too. I'm just being polite. And I don't right. want to blow people's minds when they realize that Amazon's getting into the, <laughs> right. Amazon's getting into right. what business? My business? Yeah. Holy shit. Your business, whatever it is. But do you think that's um, a trend? Is it happening more? Is it realistic? Are people really doing it and making money? Or is it just like, yeah, for everyone that does, there's a thousand and a you know, a trail of tears. You put that really well. Thank you. So I would say that I don't know if they're get rich quick guys, but I have seen the videos and, and I've heard the talk about people that just use the Shopify t-shirt fulfillment to do business. And I consider that almost exactly the same as being in the promotional products business. Yep. You're not making anything. You're not really designing anything. You're really, you know, you're taking an order and somebody else is filling it for you. Yep. And while it doesn't have all the same drawbacks or the same uh, let's say challenges that you occasionally get in promotional products, it does have some of them. And what I'll say about those folks is, is that I've never met any of them. Okay. You know, I, I really, I really haven't. I haven't had a customer say, you know what, I decided not to buy your printer because I'm getting them fulfilled online and I'm really successful. Well, that's good. And I'm happy to hear you say that. That's positive. Yeah. And on the other side, like on the issue of Amazon getting into the business and Cafe Press didn't do so well going public, but you've been able for five years to go online and get and buy a t-shirt, custom made, upload your design. Right. And yet our business continues to grow. Correct. And our business continues to grow because a solid 90% of our customers do business within about 25 miles of their business. Right. Very local. And they do business with people that they, you know, like, like you said, when you got started, Mark, is you, you had connections locally. Yeah. You know, that's how your business was born. And our customers are the same way. You know, they do every high school in the area and they make $100,000 a year, you know, or they decide they want to open up a retail shop so people can walk in or they've identified a niche market that they pursue. I talked to a lady the other day. She's doing a success story for us that does nothing but dog shirts. Right. And she goes around, she does actually, you know, trade shows and tournaments and things like that. And she brings her custom dog shirts with her. And every one of those people at that event or that she talks to or sells a shirt to could easily send a picture to any number of people and have them put it on a shirt, but they don't because they met this lady. Correct. Yeah. That personal connection is never going to be replaced by Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, I think the greater danger than something like that is what, you know, maybe some of the big screen printers are seeing now is that they invested, you know, a quarter million dollars in their screen printing setup, right? 15 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago, because they want to do orders of a thousand shirts at a time. That's right. And that business is dwindling because now people want a hundred shirts with individual names on them. Well, not only that, Mark, but even the buyers have wised up. They don't want to have that inventory sitting somewhere. So they're going to put in more POs for smaller units. And then they're going to ask that same printer, hey, I don't want to have 10,000 t-shirts delivered to me once a year. I'd rather have 1,000 shirts delivered every month. You know, the buyers get savvy and they have changed the market. There's been a shift and it's been disruptive. And you're right. There's, there's a ton of shops I know that are all like, you know, oh crap, how come we didn't see this coming? 
So, you know, I think it's just an approach to a philosophy, which is to figure out where do you best serve your customer? And that's never going to change. And so that customer might be one mom or it might be all of Facebook. And so, you know, whether we're a maker or whether we're a marketer, we have opportunities and we also have friction. And I think it's our abilities that will help us solve those problems that will let us shine in either or both capacities. Well, gentlemen, wow, this has been a real tour de force. I mean, I know when we started off on this conversation, we had some lofty goals as to what we were going to cover, but I can tell you, we covered a lot of really interesting topics here. And I, uh, I know that the Promo Kitchen community is blessed to have had the chance to learn from you, Mark Stevenson. And of course, Jay, any opportunity they have with a chef like you is always wonderful. So thank you so much, gentlemen. This was really, really fantastic. What a treat. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.